0: Welcome to Open Swim with your hosts, Hallie Bram Cogelshots
1: Eric Cogelshots Alex Knight,
0: and introducing the newest member of the Shark of Minnow team, Associate Writer,
2: David Beamer. Welcome, All sir. Right. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So today we've got an exciting topic. It's a little bit of inside baseball around the Shark and Minnow offices. It's one of those things that we talk about all the time. And when we find ourselves at cocktail parties and explaining what we do, it's one of those topics that we find people know very little about, and that is transportation. So we'll be doing a number of different podcasts around this important industry because it's becoming a bigger part of what I think is making its way into the news. If you have been watching the news lately, I'm sure you've heard about Infrastructure Week. There is a little bit of, I don't want to say controversy, but a little bit of drama around that particular topic on both sides of the aisle. We'll talk a little bit about that. But we also just want to talk about this undercurrent of the American economy and why it matters. So today we're going to talk about infrastructure. And in this case, that means a lot of different things. But without a focus on infrastructure, all members of the political sphere as well as the construction sphere agree that the U.S. does need to put an emphasis on our aging infrastructure across the board. But in particular, the infrastructure around major transportation hubs in this country. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what that means, what that kind of investment might look like, and the types of outcomes that we can all hope to expect if there is a dedication to improving our infrastructure. So what does it mean when we talk about transportation? And that can mean a number of different things. When you think about transportation, you have to think about road, rail, air, and water. And I think if you're purely looking at water, for example, let's take a look at water by the numbers. So just as an example, the American Association of Port Authorities has put out some statistics recently about the impact of waterborne transportation. As an example, nearly 31 million U.S. jobs are generated or supported by activities at the port. That's a tremendous industry when you look at it just in terms of job creation and sustainability. We also see that, you know, because of what's happening um, in trade, in manufacturing, that there's the potential to increase our trade volume by 300% by the year 2030, which I know sounds like the future, but it's really not that far away. And so we really need to make sure that we are prepared. For the type of import-export activity that is going to be coming through our ports. Just as another example, U.S. ports generated $378.1 billion in federal, state, and local tax revenue last year in 2018. So this has a huge impact, not just at the federal level, but also on immediate economies around these port cities. And so, you know, we have to think about if we aren't prepared to actually handle waterborne trade, what does that mean? What does that mean at all levels? And just at a macro level, cargo activity at U.S. ports supports 26 percent of the U.S. economy. That is a huge bite out of our economy if we are not prepared to actually handle trade in the right way, in a modern way, in a sustainable way. So that's just one slice of the pie. I mean, obviously, in addition to that, there's the conversation around trucking, around rail, around high speed rail, which is often talked about in terms of passengers, but often also does include freight as well, in addition to air freight. And so this is a big conversation that we as a country are trying to address. As I mentioned before, both sides of the aisle have talked about the need for a major investment in our infrastructure. And back to the stats that the American Association of Port Authorities put out, they're projecting that $43 billion is needed to fill the investment gap by 2040 in order for us to make sure that this industry is able to prosper. We're hearing a lot of different numbers thrown out at the moment. I think that's why there was so much drama around infrastructure week that, you know, the Democrats had one plan that they proposed, the Republicans had another, but the numbers are not small. They understand that they have to make major investments to be sure that our aging infrastructure is addressed and that we're able to keep our economy thriving. And so it's a big conversation. The other piece of drama is that it keeps being usurped in the media by other major news stories. And so it gets pushed to the bottom of the funnel. But we have heard this consistently brought up throughout this administration. Every few months, it seems like we're hearing more about investment in infrastructure. So it's something that not just the current administration, but also the Democrats have a keen eye on. They're trying to make sure that it stays in the news. And whether or not a plan will be passed in totality soon is anyone's guess, I think. But in the meantime, there are specific aspects of the budget that are being dedicated to specific projects in transportation, such as the funding of the Lock. And so that's just an example of one major project that has a serious economic impact, both pro or con, if not executed. But we see these kinds of projects be funded even as a more comprehensive budget around infrastructure is still being worked through. So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about and the overall reach of infrastructure and why it matters. When you think about infrastructure, a lot of people think, oh, it's just the roads we drive on. They think about it as a consumer commodity, but it affects our ability as a country to do business. And that's why it is such a big topic. So that gives you an idea of how things might play out at the national level. But just to give you a little bit more of a drill down into how this could impact one region, we asked David to conduct a little bit of research into what this means for the Great Lakes region. So David, what kinds of things were you finding?
2: Yeah, so something that's really important to highlight first is that within the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway region, which is comprised of the superior Michigan, Huron, Erie, and Ontario lakes. If that region that is impacted by the Great Lakes and Seaway were their own country, it'd actually be the third biggest economy in the world with a combined $6 trillion GDP. And so that just shows the economic importance of port infrastructure. And just specifically for that region, I mean, the third biggest economy in the world.
0: That's really incredible.
2: Yeah, it's really, really huge. And then just to look a little bit closer, we recently attended Infrastructure Week finale at Port of Cleveland, which got together politicians, transportation agency heads, Great Lakes port executives, construction consultancies, and other industry thought leaders, basically put them at a roundtable together to talk about issues with infrastructure and brainstorm solutions to this. And one of the interesting things when you look at Northeast Ohio's infrastructure, it's There's actually a grading system that looks at bridges, dams, drinking water, energy, roads, schools, wastewater, and it it grades them. A is for exceptional, fit for the future, B, good, adequate for now, C is mediocre— And requires attention. And the highest rating on on all of that was C, that it requires attention. And I think I think that's really something that's important to highlight is that where we are right now in regards to infrastructure in the region is needing that attention and focus on that.
0: Those stats are for the state of Ohio or for the entire region?
2: That's for Northeast Ohio. Mm.
0: But, you know, obviously you can extrapolate that out and Ohio, you know, I like to think it represents the heart of the region. But, mm-hmm. you know, you do have a major transportation hub in Cleveland. And so if those are the types of issues we're seeing here, it's likely that you can think about that as a problem that other cities are facing. And clearly, since there's so much attention on infrastructure at the national level, it is something that's being supported by data as far as usability and and primeness for future efforts.
1: And while we're looking through a microscope at the Great Lakes region, it's really important to talk about the Sioux Locks because 123,000 jobs are dependent on that piece of infrastructure. And there are three locks there, one of which, the Poe, is in badly need of repair and replacement. And right now, the Army Corps of Engineers has budgeted $75 million to upgrade that lock. The problem is we now need to start the construction and really focus on this project.
0: And the thing is, before I knew anything about the Sioux Locks, I thought, oh, it's, it's a lock how big of a deal could this be? When you really dig into the data, if we don't repair this lock and if it becomes unusable, it actually will force a recession in the United States because of the types of raw material that come through the lock. So it is a massive, massive issue. So the fact that that did receive some federal funding, it's not fully funded at this point, but it did receive a large sum of federal funding is a good sign that the projects that make the biggest impact on the economy are beginning to receive funding.
1: And yeah, the stat from the Army Corps was that 11.3% 11.3% would be the unemployment rate across the country. Which is yeah. more
0: than the last major recession, correct? Yeah, it's, it's, Was that like nine or something?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's it's just wild. It's just such an important piece of infrastructure for our country. And, you know, I mentioned the stat of over 123,000 jobs. But if you look at it by state across the Great Lakes region, Indiana would be affected the most because Burns Harbor is a major port for steel. And it's around sixty-five to 70,000 jobs that are dependent on the Sioux Locks. So every state across the Great Lakes needs to be thinking about this. Every state in the country needs to be thinking about this, but especially the state of Indiana.
0: Absolutely. So it's good to know that at least that one project is being funded. But obviously, it's not the only thing that matters to the economy. So let's just back up for a second, because I think there might be some people at home listening, thinking like, why does the Sioux matter? Where is this piece of infrastructure and why should I care about it? So, Alex, can you talk a little bit about where the Sioux exists in the context of the St. Lawrence Seaway?
3: Definitely. So the Sioux locks are located at the northern tip of Michigan and in between Canada. And they really connect the upper Great Lake of Lake Superior to the lower Great Lakes. Eric and I, a few months ago, had the really cool opportunity to visit Duluth, Minnesota, which is on Lake Superior, and we got to see kind of firsthand the iron ore being shipped. So basically, iron ore from Minnesota gets put onto a laker, it travels up Lake Superior, goes through the Sioux locks, it gets lowered in the system to be able to travel throughout the rest of the system, and then that iron ore is transported to various different cities throughout the Great Lakes to be made into products that we use every day.
0: And the reality is, it doesn't just get transported to cities on the lakes. I mean, this ore is going all the way out to the sea. It is one of our major exports. So it's interesting when you think about what we're importing. We're exporting the raw goods, and then we tend to import the finished goods. (laughs) So it does make its way back to the U.S. in one way, shape, or form. That's how the system works, is, you know, we are bringing our raw materials through. So if we do not have a working large lock up there, it's just impossible to get those raw materials out. So the economy in effect would slow to a screeching halt when it comes to the exporting of raw materials. So I think what's really interesting Alex and Eric shared when they came back from Duluth was that this is a city that has a very proud, not just shipping past, but shipping present. And they really understand as a community, the impact that shipping has on the economy. And I think that it's much more visible in places like Duluth just because of the way the city is actually set up. It actually overlooks the port itself. And so you can see the transportation in action. But we talk about it all the time. One of the reasons why shipping as an industry is something that people know very little about is that the phrase ships passing in the night is literally what happens in most places. Even in Cleveland, because of where the communities, the residential communities are largely situated, many people rarely interact with one of these large vessels. It's a pro and a con, right? Because for the public, what's nice about it is it's not like one of these large trailers, one of these large highway trailers rolling through your town. You don't see the impact as you would with an industry like trucking. What that means is that a lot of people in major metropolitan cities, even if they are on a port, they know very little about how that commerce is affecting them in their community. And that's why we as a firm work with a lot of maritime clients. And that's something that we try and help them to impart upon the public is why do these industries matter? How does it affect you directly? And why should you care about it? And so it's a really important part of what we do.
2: So like Hallie mentioned just a second ago, to the general public, the Great Lakes doesn't scream economic activity. A lot of the times it's unnoticed, and most times it shows up in recreation. But in reality, Great Lakes shipping supports over 237,000 jobs and $35 billion in economic activity. So the results of Great Lakes shipping is Enormous. I mean, you you have salties coming from all over the world by way of the St. Lawrence Seaway and Lakers working within the Great Lakes to bring in goods and export goods.
0: So although this is a region that isn't in the pop culture really as much as maybe the East Coast and the West Coast, there is so much economic activity happening here that it's truly driving much of what happens throughout the United States. It's a critically important topic that we think about how to support the economic efforts happening within the lakes so that economic prosperity can be felt throughout the country. And that really does in many ways rely on having the infrastructure to support it.
1: So if you are a business and you're listening right now, the important thing to think about is where your product's moving, especially if you are an importer or exporter. If you think about where most of the products come into the country, it's one of the main coasts, either on the east, west, or the Gulf Coast. But it's important to think about the Great Lakes because if you can get your product into the Great Lakes region, you're much closer to the core of the United States, America's heartland. You have access to about half of the U.S. households, businesses, and manufacturing plants. When you get to the Great Lakes, then it's only about eight hours to that population by truck or rail. So it's just it gives you that idea that you have access to a much wider audience when you think about the Great Lakes region. This is a great way for a business to have a competitive advantage over their competitors.
0: And I think what's really critical to think about here is the fact that like it or hate it, we live in a want it now culture. So I remember back in my days, you know, serving as the regional marketing director for Saks Fifth Avenue. And I remember we had a year where we were really nervous about holiday sales because there were goods that were being shipped that had to get into a port city on the coast, come by truck into the country and be delivered in different cities and then hit the last mile and make it here in time to sell for holiday. And there were major delays. And so if you're a retailer, like a Saks, like a Target, any of these, you may be able to really level up your supply chain and level up your logistics processes by thinking about strategies that are more flexible, not relying solely on some of these major port cities where it's no surprise there are major, major issues with congestion. Port of LA, Long Beach are famous for that. Turn times being very slow, not being able to get boxes out, all of that. So it does give you as a retailer a lot more flexibility if you can think about being creative with your supply chain. And ports like the Port of Cleveland, who in full transparency is a client of ours, we think are doing some really innovative things to allow for shippers to bring goods right into the heart of the country and get them into stores much faster. I think the other critical note on this is that, you know, as many retailers are really slimming down how much inventory they keep on site at stores, this allows those retailers to be much more flexible in the real estate that they have to secure for each of their locations. If you're relying more on your supply chain, then you also have to make that supply chain more flexible so that you can get goods where you need them as quickly as possible. And so thinking about shipping to multiple destinations throughout the country and getting into the heart of the country quicker to hit markets like Chicago is something really to consider in order to be um, as accommodating to your customers and to make those sales as quick as possible. So we've talked a lot about infrastructure and how the lack of funding or existence of funding can affect the economy. But the other thing that's heavily in the news right now that surrounds transportation is the impact of tariffs on not just the transportation industry, but retail, sales, commerce as a whole. And so I'm hoping Eric can break that down for us a little bit and talk about why this matters, how this might impact us, and the kinds of things that businesses should be thinking about right now.
1: Recently, the Trump administration announced that they will be applying a 25% tariff on $200 billion worth of Chinese products. And then in response to that, China announced that they will be putting tariffs on $60 billion worth of U.S. goods starting on June 1st. So that's only a few days from the time of recording this podcast. That gives you an idea of this fight and this trade war that's happening. Recent news that is in response to that is the fact that the president also announced that there will be a $16 billion bailout for farmers. Because of this trade war, we're seeing farmers in a very bad position, specifically soy farmers. It's a very popular product in Southeast Asia, and they are responding to that because of that tariff. This trade war is causing some significant issues for the global economy, specifically thinking about the various indexes in China, Germany, and France. They're all dropping. We saw that the S&P dropped around 1.2%. Crude oil prices are dropping about 5%. And At the same time, the president has continued to say that he will fight this to the end until it's resolved in a manner that he sees fit. So a lot of companies are starting to pull back from doing business with Chinese firms. Specifically, the one that's been in the news lately is Huawei, the telecom company. And also Google and other mobile carriers have decided that they would stop working with that firm in response to these announcements by the Trump administration. So you're starting to see corporate America understanding the direction we're going into, and they are planning accordingly, developing strategies around this. The problem is you can have this strategy, but you don't know what is ahead. So it causes a lot of friction and anxiety about moving forward.
0: I think the other thing that a lot of people have been talking about, obviously, is the fact that, yes, in theory, it is a wonderful thing to think about bringing manufacturing back to the United States and reinvigorating some of the factories that have been dormant for a long time here. But there's a lot of anxiety over how quickly can we actually get up and running so that we can fulfill the needs of American businesses. And I think that's something that remains to be seen. I think that. On the positive side of things, you see companies wanting to be more innovative so that they can be more agile. I think a perfect example of that, not necessarily in response to trade, but somewhat potentially driven by the economic discussion happening in this country is what's happening in Lordstown, Ohio with the General Motors plant there. So you know, obviously it's a really awful thing when any plant has to be shut down, even for a a small portion of time. But with what's happening there, Mary Barra made the difficult decision that knowing it takes seven years to bring a new product online between design, engineering, marketing, all the things that go into launching a new vehicle, she really pulled back on it and said, let's actually think about what Americans and the world wants to buy, and let's make sure that we're producing the cars for the tastes and demands of the future. They are looking to put that plant back into commission relatively quickly. And some of that may be because they're pulling back some of their manufacturing from places like China and from Mexico. And so, because of these trade conditions, there may be temporary uses for plants like that. And then also, just forcing businesses that are doing major manufacturing that are headquartered here in the U.S. to think about how are we going to be producing our projects in the future? And what can we think about doing today to better prepare ourselves for those types of manufacturing needs here on U.S. soil?
3: Need a bigger
0: boat. So we've spent a lot of time talking about business on the lakes today and one of my favorite new business activities is actually around a leisure cruise line that is coming to the Great Lakes, and that is Viking, and I absolutely am so excited. I desperately want to go on one of these river cruises. I watch their commercials and just dream that I'm sailing through the heart of Europe, and now I can sail through the heart of the Great Lakes, so my bigger boat goes to Viking, and we can't wait to come on board.
3: This week, my bigger boat goes out to the Interlake Steamship Company, an Ohio Steamship Company. Alex, that's my bigger boat. What? (laughs) No way. We have the
2: same bigger boat? Yeah, we have the same bigger boat. Dang. That's a good one. All right.
3: Well, you you can finish it, but it's Interlake Steamship Company.
2: Yeah. So the Interlake Steamship Company is building the first Great Lakes bulk carrier in over 30 years. So it's a historic thing. It's a really big thing.
0: That's so exciting. So we just want to give a big congratulations to our friends at Interlake. That's really fabulous news, and we can't wait to see your new vessel.
1: This episode My Bigger Boat goes out to Ron Rasmus, the previous president of the Great Lakes Towing Company and Great Lakes Shipyard. Ron was the first person to really teach me about the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway System and really took me under his wing to teach me everything about the industry and understand the dynamics of this unique culture that's here in the region. He worked for over 61 years, 56 years in the Navy government and commercial maritime industry, and also 34 years in the tugboat and shipyard business. He leads a long legacy at the Great Lakes Towing Company, where he created the Dahmen Partnership, the Tugboat Fleet Renewal Program, the Offshore Wind Project, and all the upgrades for the Subchapter M implementation. I'm so happy that Ron is enjoying his retirement, but I do miss those great lunches at Fat Cat. So if you're listening to Ron, hope you're doing well.
0: This episode is in support of Infrastructure Week, a nonprofit organization that convenes a national week of education and advocacy to bring together American businesses, workers, elected leaders, and everyday citizens around one message. Let's build for tomorrow, starting now. Each year during iWeek, leaders and citizens around America highlight the state of our nation's infrastructure, roads, bridges, rail, ports, airports, water and sewer systems, the energy grid, telecoms and more, and the projects, technologies and policies necessary to make America competitive, prosperous and safe. Learn more at www.infrastructureweek.org. Open swim is brought to you by shark and minnow on the web at shark on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at shark and minnow technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR oversight by Marcia Tacone, fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey,